Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the No Laying Up Podcast. I'm Chris Solomon, and I apologize in advance uh, if I am coughing or sneezing into the microphone a little bit under the weather from a big weekend, but we have a special guest on the show for the first time. Been wanting to do this for a while. He's a senior writer from ESPN and ESPN the Magazine and one of Sports Illustrated's co-media persons of the year, Kevin Van Valkenburg. Kevin, do you have your flame retardant suit and oven mitts on, and are you ready to talk some Tiger Woods? I am, I'm so ready to talk some smoking hot Tiger takes today. <laughs> well, the big, big news today that Nike came out with his scripting for the Masters. Mm-hmm. Is there a telltale sign underneath all of this, all of the tweets about what Tiger Woods is going to wear in two weeks? Uh, you, know, you would think so, that they would want to coordinate this uh, all together, but... I can't, you know, if Tiger's walking around in, in uh, you know, his home sort of s- spot there in, in Florida and, and chunking chips still, I can't imagine that he gets on the plane and, and heads over to Augusta just to embarrass himself. I, it would be, it, it would be so uncomfortable. Like, I, look, I've never been like a huge Tiger guy, but I, I'm starting to feel like really kind of sad watching this. And, and I know this is how a lot of athletic careers end and I think that's what people don't quite understand is like this is this is how most great athletes kind of end up going out but it just happens so quickly and it's so awkward for everyone who loves golf to watch this I'm not sure uh, you're right I don't think it's we're even talking about it because we're in denial we're, we're just truly in denial of what's happening but the thing is about golf is this doesn't really happen in golf this is the one sport where you can kind of basically play forever and I mean like you can play into your 60s on the Champions Tour if you really want to. Like, it, and I mean, Phil Mickelson's five years older than Tiger, and granted, Phil's faded in the last couple of years, but he's his game hasn't completely disappeared. Like, this isn't a normal thing to happen in your late 30s to have your game go completely off the rocker like this, especially when you're the best player to ever play the game. I think you know, there's a hundred theories that you could sort of do about this, but I really believe that the burden of carrying the game for so long finally just kind of broke him like it there's you know it's it, this all this started really not so much with the fire hydrant with like his dad passing away and that sort of knocked him off kilter i mean this is like all like sitting in a leather couch psychology stuff so who knows what's <laughs> true but it, everything kind of slowly started to unravel and the pressures were greater and obviously like he was looking for other outlets to sort of deal with some of that and if you one of the things i think is really kind of it's a paradox is we all like want tiger to play well again and but like for the people who are financially invested in it like you know like the golf channel every time he comes back it's such a huge like i think tiger could win he could get in contention win the tournament if you know when we saw him look terrible at the hero world challenge or whatever and and all of a sudden people are like oh yeah no he'll be fine he, it's it's no big deal he's, he's gonna make this happen he's gonna be fine and i think that every time that happens every time there's another comeback it just sort of ratchets up the pressure again and because he was so immune to pressure for so many years. We think like, ah, he can deal with it. But really, like, you get out there, and I think that the the circuits in his brain are just overwhelmed right now. It's just like I can't deal with having to carry this sport anymore. It's just not. It's not possible for me. I don't. I just. I don't see the same motivation from him. And maybe you're right about saying that maybe this has just worn him all this for all all these years, all the press conferences, speculation on every single aspect and thing in his life getting so exposed with the scandal, Hank Haney's book, injury after injury. It just, I mean, when was the last time you heard him really make sense talking about his golf game or talking about the state of his health or, mm-hmm. I mean, he uses all these buzzwords, you know, trying to get my my release patterns and my tredge and my start lines. and my, But, like, we, we never really got a real honest assessment of what he thinks of his game. And, I mean, that's why I, I tweeted something today. It's like, 
he's I don't think he is. He's not hurt right now. And we're wondering if he's going to play in the biggest golf tournament of the year in two weeks or if he's going to choose to play in this. I mean, I, I agree with you. I don't think I see no reason for him to go and embarrass himself if his if his chipping is still like it is. Yeah. You know, geniuses tinker. Like that's what they do. They they never part of the nature of genius is that you can't just sort of accept things how they are. And so, you know, one of the things I think is fascinating about Mickelson is that he's managed to sort of deal with not getting bored or not getting overwhelmed by this constant reinvention that didn't have really anything to do with his swing. It's like, okay, this year, like, I'm going to hit two drivers. And (laughs) wait, this year, I'm going to hit just a two-wood. This year, I'm going to be, like, stats-obsessed. Like, well, this year, I'm playing a new ball, and it's just so revolutionary to me. This year, I'm going to be just a family man. You know, I'm going to play in so many tournaments because my family's the most important thing. Like, Nicholson constantly convinces himself that he's, like, a chameleon, that he's someone else. And Tiger, on the other hand, did that, like, with his swing. It was like, okay, you know what? I might have basically hit, you know, 75% of, of greens in regulation with my swing in 2000, but I... I don't really like when Butch kind of yaks it up on the range and it's sort of annoying to me. And I, So I want to go and do something totally different and kind of own my swing, like Mo Norman, you know, of, of all the weird things to sort of say. That was one of the weirdest. And so I think he, he kept just messing with it and kept sort of thinking like, you know, if you're an artist, like say you're a musician and you tinker with stuff and you do kind of weird avant-garde things, that's like kind of a normal part of it because no one cares if you make bad music, like you always sort of can return to like the old hits that used to play. But if you're a golfer and you start to kind of rewire the things in your brain, like at some point he just kind of got lost. And and that's why I think that it's sort of shown up now in chipping, which is the most sort of artistic part of the game is it's like the neurons in his brain are just sort of, they can't remember what swing they're trying to do. And it's, that's what makes it sort of kind of heartbreaking. He's tried to make, I feel like he, over the years, uh, along those same lines of what you're saying, over the years he's become more and more robotic with his swing. Mm-hmm. I think he even, he would even say that. So it's not that, I guess, surprising that, like you're saying, part of the art of chipping and the touch of chipping seems to be completely lost on him right now. I don't know if he's thinking so completely fundamental when he's standing over a chip uh, that he's you know lost his instincts mm-hmm. or... I mean, I've said this on like three podcasts in a row now, but it's just like, I honestly don't think enough, it's not been made a big enough deal, this chipping thing, because I've never seen a five handicap or better golfer go through a a spell like this with chipping. I've never, and much less Tiger Woods. There's a part of me that like, you, you were talking with Porter last week about how you want, you know, you'd love to see the old Tiger come back and, you know, play at the Masters. I would think it would be fascinating to see like, the current tiger like scraping claws way around and like chip with a four iron and somehow being <laughs> contention at Augusta like completely and totally impossible but like like the equivalent of like Jordan's old man like triple pump fake jumper it was like uh, all right I'm just gonna basically like put a band-aid on this and somehow like I'm gonna shoot 71 71 68 with a you know chipping with a four iron well where do you stand I mean do you think he tees it up at Augusta official prediction I'm going to say no. I really, I yeah. actually don't think so. And I, I totally agree. I just think that it, the psychological damage that he could do to himself shooting, you know, 83 there would, would set him back another six months almost. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's almost more realistic to think like, okay, I'm just going to keep sort of grinding and keep playing these rounds at, at medalist or whatever. And, and then I'll show up, you know, at, at St. Andrews where, you know, I can sort of, the chipping is a little, it's not quite as demanding there, you know, you can kind of hit it a little bit wild, and I just think that, I just think he's going to say, like, I'm just not ready, I just can't deal with it, and it's going to send, like, it's going to be like a huge earthquake for a few days through everything, and hopefully Rory will shoot 65 the first day to sort of wipe it out of everyone's mind. (laughs) That's That's why I can't picture it, it's like, look at how much we're analyzing Rory's current game, and I don't have his recent results in front of me, but like, I think I saw a piece on golf.com that was like, Henrik Stenson looks ready for the Masters, but Rory McIlroy sure, sure doesn't. I'm like, I think McIlroy finished like T12. Yeah. Like, um, T10 and T15, I think, are his two. And this is coming off, yeah. He had a, a torrid winter on the European Tour. And, yeah, it's, it's, it hasn't been an ideal start for him on the U.S. Tour this year. But it's like he's just barely slipped from like a couple months ago. He was absolutely on top of the world. And we're doubting his chances for Augusta. Mm-hmm. Look at where Tiger's current chances are for Augusta. What is going to make him want to want to suit up? I mean, honestly, he always says, "Like, well, I would never suit up unless I was going to win." But like, this is so far from being able to win. I, I can't see his motivation for wanting to go out there and play. I really can't. 
I can't either. I mean, maybe he just will kind of remember, you know, 2010, whatever, when he, after the scandal, when he, his game, I mean, if you read Haney's book, like, he was in total disarray, and then all of a sudden he scraped it around there and, you know, kind of at least was, you know, I think he finished top top five, which is really Tied remarkable. fourth, yeah, he finished tied fourth after that. But, you know, that that some of that was just like knowing you know where to miss and now he, he doesn't know that anymore like of course he's going to have to hit chip shots because he's got a two-way miss going and he can't drive the ball that well and he can't really save himself from the putter it's that's painful and it's it's i just don't know like i mean Haney sort of basically i don't know if you saw the golf digest week but he flat out said you know like it, it's the yips like come on let's let's be realistic yeah. about this like it, it's not an injury that's ridiculous and it's, I'm surprised at how few people, you know, other than, you know, Brandall or ever kind of kind of say, like, look, this is really bad. This is not something that just kind of goes away. It seems like they're afraid of the kind of the old Tiger who never said anything kind of negative of, of him because he so controlled the sport, basically, and had so much power within it that you ran the great risk of kind of, you know, writing your own ticket out of the game if you offended him. And so people are still kind of playing by those rules, but gosh, I, you know, I mean, that, like I know that Brown can be sort of, you know, controversial, and, and so a lot of people do not like him. But I sort of admire at least that he's willing to kind of say, like, look, this is as bad as you think it might be. You're just not willing to kind of come out and say it. Yeah, I, I, uh, I was gonna say I agree with you that at least there's a a person in the media or a person, you know that is willing to take a stance and opinion against Tiger. But what what I want to know is, can we get, can somebody get on the trail and ask Jack Nicholas what his opinion is on this matter? Because <laughs> I don't, I like, what, what do people expect Nicholas to say at this point? Yep, he's he's done. He's never well, going to touch he, my record. I'm like the greatest he's, he's ever. totally screwed. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> I'm going to be popping champagne tonight. Barbara. They keep, they check in with him every month. I like, know. like, did you see, like, and then, yeah, asking Phil about it every time. Do you expect Phil to be like, yeah, you know, he's never, he's never going to figure this out. He's done. I'm, I, I, I it's silly. It's crazy. Well, it's such a it, long sort of thing. You just say never, like, you know, it's like he could take three years and sort of, you know, mess it up. And then somehow like, you know, a 75 year old Butch Harmon's like, okay, let's go back and just start from the beginning. And like, he kind of finds something that's, a, you know, like how long has Fred couples been sort of, competitive every now and then at the masters like it's still you could see you could easily see a 43 year old tiger woods having been kind of irrelevant for two three years finding it for three weeks and and playing really well at augusta yeah i've always stuck with like he's gonna be fine he's gonna be fine he's gonna be fine it's tiger woods like and the, you know with him turning it around and when he did in 2012 and 2013 i mean he was back to being basically the best ball striker in the game mm-hmm. his putting wasn't this quite the same as it was in his dominant age and his ball striking wasn't as dominant but it's like he had it back i mean it was a way different way of going about it with uh, the foley swing and you know his overall style of play was much more target oriented than it was you know his creative bombing shaping style but mm-hmm. it was like he was there he was he was the best and he was going to be fine until the injury happened last year and i mean man it's he's going to fall outside the top 1000 in the world if he doesn't play again this year like that's insane to think about that is insane i, I mean that's truly like i i don't put a lot of stock in the ranking stuff because i guess as long as you're i mean uh, other than the world golf championships like he could get you know exemptions to or you know, yeah to Kind of what he would want to play, but good gosh, I mean that's—he's going to run out of exemption at the U.S. Open, and that's in, true. I mean, yeah. In like three or four years, granted, but like he literally will. Granted, <laughs> he's never going to line up at U.S. Open qualifying, but he like literally could be not have a U.S. Open qualifying spot and PGA spot. I think. Is I PGA think so. Lifetime? I, oh, PGA's I lifetime, actually looked right. this up because PGA will grant special that's right. exemptions. The that's other, right. the three do, but but I, I sort of admire that the U.S. Open is so brutal in that they're like, nope, like you you either got to qualify or you got to be you know, already sort of in. It's, it's ten years and you are done. I'm surprised they don't make you give a trophy back. Like, if, you, if you don't, Hi, we're, we're here for the Pebble, the Pebble Trophy. <laughs> Tiger, you just missed the cut at the last U.S. Open by 15 shots. Your 15 shot victory has been wiped out. Hey, it's golf, you know. It's fair. It's, it's fair. It's fair. <laughs> I mean, so I, I, I not only do I don't think he's going to play. I don't want him to. I don't want to do this circus. I don't want this media mockery of, you know. 
sitting and waiting in his parking spot and hanging on every live tweeting practice rounds. And I mean, I, I rolled my eyes when I first saw the headline when I saw somebody say like, "Will, will Tiger being at Augusta help help mitigate the pressure for Rory?" I kind of rolled my eyes at first, and I started thinking about. It. I was like. Mm-hmm. It really might, you know? I mean, like, Rory will be the center of attention if Tiger's not there, and we know Tiger's going to take a lot of that attention away if he does show up. You know what's remarkable? I So I was talking about this a little bit earlier, is that I walked four rounds with Mickelson uh, last year at, uh, at Pinehurst, and it actually made me have a whole new appreciation for Tiger because Phil is so, like, unable to, like, like basically like live in the tunnel that tiger lived in for 15 years and that where tiger you know it used to kind of annoy me like why doesn't he ever like acknowledge anybody sort of says you know hey you know why doesn't he kind of give a ball to some kid in the stands whatever that mickelson has to do that every single hole like he can't someone says you know hey phil let's go and he's got to you know give him the the build thumbs up thumbs up you know he's got to tip his cap and he probably and he looks does at that. you when he does it he too. Does. He looks at you, and that's a very human thing. Like I, I think that there's, it, it's sort of like impressive that Mickelson does that because it, it's what sort of has formed a connection for him with a lot of people. But it's I don't know that it's conducive to great golf to be you know to playing these really important rounds in the tournament. You want to win more than anything in the world, and yet you're walking up the thing and people are saying singing happy birthday to you, and you're sort of smiling and acknowledging and, and tipping your cap. 50 times a hole tiger would just be be like i i would play if there were no people here or i would play if like the fairways were you know for overflowing with people from the from the stands you know that's i mean you're exactly right i mean that matters to phil phil wants to be loved he wants to be remembered he wants to be loved and back to what you were saying about him always tinkering and always talking about his tinkering i've always said phil wants to make sure you know he's the smartest guy in the room right mm-hmm. <laughs> he can't just invoke a strategy he's got to talk about it he wants he's got to do it in excruciating detail to to show you how much thought he's put into it but it does amaze me i mean my i have a uh a, a, basically a close family friend who went to college with phil and mm-hmm. i was back in college and i think i was waiting i was sitting behind the green at the memorial and i actually you know long story short played in a wedding I played golf in a wedding with one of Phil's uh, roommates in college, mm-hmm. and that also played on the golf team. And I told I, Phil's walking by, and I just said to him, "Like, hey, Phil, I, I beat I beat so and so at so and so's wedding mm-hmm. a couple months ago." And he and he just like he's like beamed. He just like looked right up at me, started <laughs> laughing, and started talking to me. And he's like, he's like, "Oh yeah, how's so and so's business doing?" Blah, blah blah. I mean, he talked to me for like five minutes there, mm-hmm. like while he signed autographs. I mean, and looked me in the eye every every, every with everything that he said. I was just like. Who would do that? I mean, he wasn't faking it. There was no cameras around. Like, I mean, there's a lot of people around, but like that—that is honestly like who he is, like, hundred percent of the time. And Mm -hmm. Tiger couldn't be wired any differently. But I think it's kind of—I don't. I I mean, I wasn't around for the Jack Arnie era, but I think there's got to be at least a little bit of similarity there. I don't think Jack is the the dick that Tiger is, but. I mean, Arnie was this beloved guy. I mean, more so than Phil is, I think. But mm-hmm. I've I've always found the the Arnie, Jack, Phil, Tiger comparisons to be to be really interesting. And I think there's a lot of similarities there. Like, no, they Phil, really are. Phil hasn't gotten the career Grand Slam. Arnie never got it. Mm-hmm. You know, he just obviously never won as much as Jack did, and Phil's not won as much as Tiger has. But made a lot of money in endorsements and. It's 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 pretty interesting. I mean, oh, yeah. it, it, in the to have that kind of rivalry, I guess, thirty years apart. I mean, it's. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily a normal thing in a no. sport like this. The, the warmth that we sort of feel now as as a golf kind of you know lovers towards Nicholas is not something that a lot of people felt like when he first came on the scene. Like they resented him and, and sort of thought that he was this fat kid who was very fat cold, Jack. cold to people, and that Arnie was. You know, was such a more like kind of you know, blue collar kind of guy, and like you, you look at pictures of like of Palmer back then, it was just such a cool looking dude, like just rocking these like sweaters that like if, if that guy showed up at your course now, you'd be like, oh my god, this guy's this guy's sweet, like, so much swag, <laughs> you know, oh just he's you know a cigarette kind of hanging out of his mouth, and he's he's crushing a you know Persimmon driver three hundred and ten yards, and I mean that. <laughs> I, I anyway, back to Mickelson. I, I wanted to tell you like this. My favorite Mickelson story about him like wanting to be the smartest guy in there. He talked about this at the U.S. Open this year, at the the first U.S. Open at Bethpage. Uh, 
after the first round, I don't know like how, how much this story has been circulated, but he decided that he was like he was not hitting the ball like as far as he wanted to. And he felt like he needed to sort of have more like distance, and so he he changed irons like from the first to the second round to irons not like irons like oh he swapped out like a three iron for like another wedge but he changed irons to different lofts and so and he said that bones like couldn't believe it because they couldn't figure out the yardage on the course (laughs) (laughs) how hard you know how far do you hit a seven iron well i hit the other one you know 175 but this one's a two degree stronger loft (laughs) in the middle of the biggest tournament of your life you're overthinking this to the point where you're changing the loft of your seven iron and he was like He's talking about this. He's like, yeah, it's kind of one of the dumbest things I've ever done. <laughs> Pray for bones. <laughs> just, just, you know, but it's constant. Like, oh, I'm going to do the claw now. Like, oh, no, I'm going to switch to the claw halfway out of the round. Like, oh, I've this forward press thing that I have going on. Is this? It, he just, he's lovable because he so represents, like, every golfer's id. Like, yep. yep, oh, this is what I'm going to do today. Like, I've, I've figured it out, and I'm never, this has never abandoned me. So. I'm kind of the same way, though. Like, I always have to be, have some new swing thought, mm-hmm. whether it be with putting or swinging or something. I have to have, like, something new that I'm doing. I, mm-hmm. I don't practice enough to, like, keep things constant, but, like, I think Phil practices golf enough to really have this kind of stuff nailed down, especially, yeah, on equipment. Uh, I mean, he goes to courses like two weeks in advance sometimes to prepare for these courses. You would think he would have had his distances dialed in by, by then. <laughs> I'm curious as to what we'll see from him this, this year. I mean, it, you know, he's, he's really been sort of shuffling a, bit, a little bit this year. But, you know, this course just plays so well into a lot of his strengths that, you know, you could see him. I mean, last year was really surprising to see him miss the cut. Uh which is in the end also made the PGA at the end of the year so impressive because he was just garbage all year. But like he's just he's been in the top ten so many times there and probably you know should have won it uh, the year that Bubba won. He could have saved you from Bubba being a two time Green Jacket winner if he hadn't <laughs> he hit that start. ball on three like down on four. The, yeah, when he, got, like, when he hit it backwards. Four yeah. foot brush. I mean, like even if he had somehow like taken a drop there, like he'd have more likely. But he you know ended up taking six. <laughs> Oh, don't remind me of that. And then, oh, God. <laughs> I, I, I've been trying to talk myself into Phil, but, I, I mean, I mean, you're right, though. I just, I just pulled it up while you're talking. He went from 99 to 2010. He finished outside the top 10 once in 2007. He won three of them. And, I mean, I've, always, I've been saying this a lot recently. I've been telling my, my other no-laying-up guys and, and some of the other golf guys I talked to, like, that 2004 Masters, I mean, I know it's 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 it remembered highly in golf history. I don't think it gets enough credit. Phil Mickelson shot 31 on the back nine at Augusta, birdied the last hole to win by one over Ernie Els it's, to win his first major. It's my favorite Masters ever. I mean, it's you know what he's always been the guy who I've sort of just related to and cheered for and stuff and. Like I, I remember just like standing on my couch, like screaming as he kind of made birdies on you know on uh, fifteen and then sixteen, and I think he parred seventeen and then birdie eighteen. Like I it was just, I was so convinced in my mind, like midway through the round, that he was gonna blow it again. And Els, you know, shot I think a really good score, I think sixty six or something that day, and looked like. Yeah. It, it also produced one of my favorite quotes ever was they asked Ernie after Phil made that birdie. How did you feel about uh, you know not getting into a playoff? And he said, "Well, uh, I was feeling pretty upset about it, but after about six or seven beers, I started to feel better." <laughs> <laughs> On the spot, South African accent there. I did not see that coming. That's pretty good. Well, thank you. I uh, you know I've worked hard at my South African accent. Too. <laughs> but you were right. So yeah, back nine, two thousand four. So Mickelson tur- went out in thirty eight. Mm. Birdie, birdie twelve. 13, 14, 16, and 18 to win the Masters by one. Kind of an unbelievable back nine. Like, that and Nicholas's back nine to, I mean, I, maybe Schwartzel's four straight birdies at the end there. But that's not as fun. <laughs> no, not at all. I don't even really want to remember, speaking of South Africans, after I've just complimented one, I'm going to disparage another, but uh, I don't even really want to remember that Masters at all. Because it was hard to believe that a Masters could end with four straight birdies, and everyone could be like, yeah, I have no interest in even discussing that, remembering Yeah, we were all, I mean, we had Jason Day, Adam Scott, all there. I think Phil was in that one, too. And Tiger was, was like, in that one, I think. Tiger was, yeah. That's the one where he hit that 
five iron on 15 to about five feet for eagle and then missed the putt and that was i thought he was gonna win when he hit that five yeah. iron he's missed some like eagle putts on on the back nine at augusta in the last like he if he could have putted a little bit better i think he would have won two more green jackets because he his some of his ball striking was great and but he just he would miss a like the year one of the years phil won i think 2006 tiger was right in it and missed two eagle putts that he had hit to maybe five feet I think I'm not. I'm pretty sure I'm not making this up. I know that one of the years it was like he could have put pressure on Phil, didn't, and then so Phil was just like, "Hey, Fred Couples, like let's have a stroll in the park and I'll just cruise to this." You're safe. No one's going to look this up, so okay. you're safe. You can just make stuff up. So, um, I've I've always said, and I've said it on this podcast before, that I think the 2001 Masters is one of the most underrated Masters in history. And I don't know why it doesn't really roll off the tongue when people talk about the best Masters. This was, was Tiger and, yeah. Tiger at his peak, mm-hmm. Duval at his peak, Phil not quite yet, I guess, at his peak. But mm-hmm. I mean, Tiger ended up winning it by two. But that was one, two, and three. Tiger, Duval. Phil and I think Duval had the lead on the back nine at he one did. point. Yeah, he. I think it, I want to say so they came to sixteen and I want to say that they were tied and Duval like just smoked like an eight iron like over the green. Like he when he hit it, he was like he thought it was like hit pin high, but it, like his adrenaline was pump, so pumped up that he like flew the thing. And he, I just remember the, like the stone cold look of horror on his face uh, that he was like letting it sort of slip away. That was a great example of how Tiger just kind of could play Sundays and never make mistakes, and everyone around him would sort of implode. It just would work out in his favor. But, yeah, I mean, he uh, Duval shot 67 that day. That's I mean, yeah, kind of hard to knock a guy shooting 67. But. but I love – I just pulled up the Wikipedia page for that. What I love about the 2001 Masters, it goes, Tiger Woods, David Duval, Phil Mickelson, Toshimitsu Izawa. <laughs> finished tie for fourth with Ernie Els and Mark Kalkovecchia. <laughs> Well, I think that means that uh, uh, Poppy Bonrat is going to finish like fourth or fifth this year. Uh, <laughs> we're going to get like a totally random, uh, you know. That, who's the guy who was in the the playoff the year that Weir won it? Like that was um, Lim Matisse. Yeah, <laughs> and Ken, wasn't Kenny Perry in that too? No, I don't think wasn't, he, uh, Chad Campbell. Chad Campbell. Yeah. Gosh, we uh, almost had some really random Masters winners. <laughs> Oh man, dude! Oh three, oh well. Other than Phil winning the Masters in oh four, the oh three, oh four era of major winners it gets pretty dicey. <laughs> Mike Weir, somebody, made, one of our guys, Phil, one of our guys, made the point last year. It was either Phil or Todd said just on like a uh, Tuesday night of the Masters week. Mike Weir gets to dine at the Champions Dinner while Lynn Matisse was like playing a qualifier for a Web.com event or something like that. <laughs> Like one shot, like one shot made the difference in that. Like it's absolutely, it's crazy. But um, so yeah, oh three, Mike Weir, then Furick won the U.S. Open. I'll, I mean, his only major title. I'll, I'll, I'll give that one to Furick. Okay. Ben Curtis won the British Open. Sean McKeel won the PGA Championship. Oy. Thankfully, we had Phil win the 04 um, Masters. Retief Goosen won the 04 U.S. Open, and then Todd Hamilton won the 04 PG or British Open. That was that was that was a rough stretch of golf. I mean, that was when Tiger. I mean, Tiger should have been able to dominate during those two years. I wonder if we'll ever see another major winner like Todd Hamilton, who was like hitting hybrids into greens, <laughs> like, like utility clubs. When I remember that, like Els was hitting like. Nine iron and and Hamilton's like back like two hundred and forty yards out and like hitting it to you know two putting for with a hybrid. Cut to a shot of Zach Johnson like hey I can win it I can still win a major. <laughs> I, well, I have a great Tre- story. Trevor about- Trevor Illuminman is three hundred to one if you're you know looking to take a, a good feeling flyer on this. Uh, I think I'm good. I think I'm good for now. I may bet on I, I may bet on Mark Illuminman before I bet on Trevor Illuminman okay. win the Masters again. I was but. looking at the the futures of seeing like who is the the most realistic, like three hundred to one, five hundred to one long shot. You can get to Kevin Sadler at five hundred to one. Like I, the, the the fact that Kevin Sadler could never ever putt that well to sort of, but it's in his bloodlines, right? Like he's won tournaments before. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, the big guns show out of the Masters. That that it, it separates the men from the boys. But I've got a great actual Todd Hamilton story. I bet you okay. you probably don't know too many people that have good Todd Hamilton stories. But hit me. We, uh, me, and actually, this is way before we started the website. But me, Phil, and Todd, the other uh, mm-hmm. some of the other no laying up guys, 
Every year we went to the more we would go to the memorial tournament during mm-hmm. college. We we both went to we all went to Miami University. Mm-hmm. They would come up for the summer. We'd they'd spend the week. We we would just hang out, drink, party, and go to the memorial tournament every every day. It was yep. awesome every summer. And we went out at night. And I think we, it was during the NBA playoffs at the time, and LeBron went off for some ridiculous uh, ridiculous night and. Mm-hmm. My buddy either invented this shot or like had heard of this shot before, and it it was a terrible shot. It's like Goldschlager wine and something Jaeger or something mixed, and it's disgusting. disgusting. It it is, and we got we run into Todd Hamilton at the bar, and we got (laughs) we got him a LeBron shot, and uh, he took it and he's like, "That's nasty." And we we took one with him, obviously. Uh-huh. He goes, "That's nasty." And, my, and Todd's like, "That's the point. That's why it's the LeBron shot." And he was he was like not amused at all. <laughs> That's like you. First of all, the, the best thing about that story is that you're probably like in the point five percent of people in the world who would recognize Todd exactly. Hamilton enough to be like, "Hey, former British Open winner Todd Hamilton, can we buy you a terrible shot?" <laughs> But we ended up shooting pool with him for like hours, and uh, he—I think he ended up beating me if I remember right. And we went out to follow him some the next day, and uh, like he said, what up to us? He was—he recognized us, and he's coming off like the ninth green, and he like walks up and like there's kids there like like waiting for balls and autographs or whatnot, and like the eight year old kids like, hey, sir, can I have your ball? And Hamilton's like, oh, I have a riddle for you. And I don't remember what the riddle was, but, like, he just, like, quizzed this kid. and Whatever it was, the kid got it wrong at the very end. And Hamilton just goes, nope, and walked. (laughs) (laughs) That's cold-blooded. And walked away. He walked right by us. He didn't, like, say, I think it was his last hole of the day. Walked right by us, didn't say anything else to us, and just kept walking. And we're all looking at each other like, did he seriously just ice that eight-year-old kid because he couldn't figure out his li- his limerick or whatever? We blamed it on the LeBron shot that we got him. That had to uh, that had to have an influence on Anytime it. Anytime you, you mix Goldschlager and wine, I, I'm just I literally just named three random alcoholic drinks. I don't remember what it was, but it was something that should not be mixed together at all. But uh, that so I like I, the next year. Okay, I ran into him at the tournament, and I was like, "Are we gonna have a rematch tonight?" And he he named he's like Martinos. He named the bar. He remembered it from from the from the year before. We uh, I didn't end up going. I'm sure he was heartbroken that I didn't end up making it. So uh-huh. I had so uh, what one of my um, friends we we had a guy come live with us who was like a foreign exchange student from Northern Ireland when I was in high school, and he was a little older than me. Um, so I didn't like know him all that well, but like he sort of got to be kind of close to the family or whatever. And he, he's like the proprietor base, like a, he's like the general manager of this really like swank, um, hotel in Belfast. And he told me this great story about how after Rory won the, um, won the U S open, he like people line up like all day, like to sort of get into this bar, like at night, like start lining up like hours in advance, whatever. And like, he was sort of walking up the line, just kind of making sure. And like Rory was standing in there and he, kind of went up to him and was like, hey, you know, uh, Rory, you know, why don't we you come up here and we'll come to the VIP line? And Rory was like, no, I'm good. I, I, I think I should just wait in line. Like, that's, you know, that's the fair thing to do. And I was like, wow, like, in terms of, like, drinking stories, like, that's remarkably, like, sort of nice of Rory to just be like, no, I'm, I'll just wait in line like all the other Northern Islanders. Hmm, that's interesting. That's kind of redeeming yeah. story for, uh, for Rory. I, I wouldn't have pictured that from Rory. I don't know why. I feel like he... Seems I don't have, I don't have anything to base this on. You can you can classify this as a fiery take, but I feel like he he kind of seems to like the celebrity lifestyle and getting pictures with LeBron and Tom yeah. Brady and whatnot. So that is kind of that's that's refreshing to hear. I think he's both. I think he's both that. I think that's an accurate reading of him. But I think he's also like oddly human. Like you know, can you imagine a guy, like Tiger ever breaking up with his um, like a fiance or whatever and they're nearly crying in the press conference when like Steve Sands is like asking questions about it like you know <laughs> like someone from the golf channel like I, he that thing where after he and Caroline broke up and he was like I don't really want to talk about it but obviously like it's a really difficult thing in my life like I've, I sort of felt like wow you just did this really cold thing where you broke up with your fiance on the phone but also like I feel for you because you're out, you're up here like kind of owning it and like sort of near tears in front of everyone there's a yeah. There's a lot of rumors about the things that have gone on there that we can't touch with a ten foot pole. Indeed. Um, <laughs> I mean, off, I the, uh, off the air. 
Yeah, yeah. Off the air. I mean, I'm sure you've heard the same ones I have, but I have never even even whispered them or said it out loud to really anyone just because they're they're so ridiculous because i mean there's rumors about there about every golfer and i don't i believe about maybe one percent of them but um i mean i I believe as much about them as i do robert allenby's story from hawaii this year so (laughs) i think is is rex hoggard still in hawaii reporting on this i I hope so he's gonna get to the bottom of it any moment (laughs) what happened there Amazing so what that you, like the Golf Channel would have Hoggard camp out there to find that story, but like can't be bothered to basically like run a public record search on the Patrick Reed stuff. That's yeah, that's the point I made in there. I, I said uh, I, I, Rex Hoggard worked so many days in Hawaii this year that he's got to pay. He's got to file taxes there. <laughs> Yet uh, the, the, they're butchering of the Patrick Reed thing and been been uh, strangely quiet since then. They ran a little follow up story on it, um, mentioning uh, finally mentioning Stephanie Way's uh, reports, but it uh, been, yeah a little quiet from the Reed camp now. I think he's finally, uh, hopefully for his sake, kind of realized that he needs to just keep his mouth shut. What, what are we going to see from him at Augusta? What's uh, he's going to win? Okay. He's going to win the yeah. Masters. Just uh, he's going to tear the sleeves off the jacket and the. Uh, <laughs> He's gonna give. He's gonna get on the back of Billy Payne and get a piggyback ride around the 18th green. <laughs> Isn't it weird to, that he's like? I I don't know if you feel the same way, but like he's he's such a, can be such a villain, but I can't help but sort of just love his role in the game now. Like he's Me too, he's totally. totally great, and he's got so much game. I don't know, like consistency wise, if he's gonna sort of be able to put it together like in every major or whatever. Because you know, last year. I thought they was gonna, and he's kind of wasn't really. You know, he kind of fizzled in the majors, but you know, he's just he's fun to watch because he just gives no f's at all. Like he just, no. I feel <laughs> like a lot of people are like him, mm-hmm. I, and this is a weird way to say it, but like he's the only one that actually truly just will be himself. Like yep. he's the one that will rip a drive down eighteen and just absolutely pimp step it and mm-hmm. not care what people think about the reaction. Whereas. I mean, some guys want to do that. Probably they are that inner, have that inner confidence, but they don't want to show people up. But like you said, he just he gives zero fucks, and he is going to do what he wants to do. And like I, I think he's finally embracing it. I think when he won in the Cadillac and came out and made those comments, that showed there. And but he was kind of put off by everyone's reaction by it. And I mean, his, he struggled all summer after that. Whatever yeah. happened in Scotland, he got it back, and mm-hmm. he's got that swagger back. And I, 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 as soon as he shushed the crowd in Scotland, I literally, I literally went online and I bet on him to win the Masters at hundred to one. I swear to God, I swear to God. I was like, this guy's gonna, he's gonna win the Masters. He's thirty to one now. He was hundred to one at the time. So I'm feeling, I'm pretty happy about it, and I'm sticking to my guns nice. that he's going to win the Masters this year. He's, I mean, that's exactly what we've been missing with the U.S. on the Ryder Cup is that sort of just I'm going to step on your throat kind of attitude. Like it's why like a middling talent like Poulter has sort of been able to kind of carve out a whole career just by basically having that attitude during, you know, Ryder Cup is sort of shows the difference between why Europe has basically won. I mean, it, obviously talent has a lot to do with it too, their overall depth, but like if like if he ends, I want all young kids on the Ryder Cup from now on. Like I don't really want any of these old See, I, I wish that like Love had been like, uh, you know what? Four guys qualify, and I'm going to pick eight. So, <laughs> and I'm gonna basically going to I'm going to take these picks on like, you know, on, on Kepka, and I'll take I'll tell I'll take Harris English. I'll take you know I'll take anybody who's basically willing to go to war with me, and that's it. Yeah, I think uh, I <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out with Davis Love. I think that he's not the kind of guy that's going to do that. Uh, I don't I don't think they're ever going to he's you know too, yeah, get he's too, too buddy buddy. Yeah. He's buddy buddy with a lot of these guys, but I think I you know what I I wish honestly we could obviously cuz we just lost. I wish we could line them up and play right now. Yeah. I think the US would smoke Europe right now. Yeah. I mean, you look around at like how well the Americans have played since that Rory, uh, he's still Rory, but I mean, like Justin Rose has really quietly been yep. completely absent this year. Graham McDowell nowhere to be found. I mean, granted, maybe they're not trying to make their games peak in the winter, et cetera. But I mean, like, I'm not afraid of. I I'd line up, and I think the U.S. would be favorites on in, on any continent if they were to play true. tomorrow. Oh, true. And plus, you get to, you assume you get to have you know Dustin Johnson for sure, and you probably get to take you know Horschel. 
and you know, I suppose you could take Duffner too, and so you get to leave home Webb and you know Jim Furyk and you know a bunch of the sort of lame ducks. Well, I mean, yeah, well, Reed's going to play two and two balls and four ball though. You know that, right? <laughs> And he's going to play two two Sunday matches in singles as well. <laughs> They're going to send him off first and last. <laughs> and you just have to complete the. You have to just basically sprint from the 18th over back to the first and uh, tee it up again. I like that. Um, I want to get your thoughts on this because I'm looking for somebody to agree with me on this because no one does. But I th- I think the Ryder Cup should be every year. I don't mm-hmm. see any reason. It's one of those things like if it was already every year, no one would ever change it to every other year. That's like imagine like. The Masters and the Ryder Cup are my two favorite events. Like, yeah. imagine if we were like, you know what? We're going to make the Masters every other year now. Yeah. I mean, I know, granted, it's tradition, whatever. Sure. And for the five people out here that love the President's Cup, like, yeah, they kind of get screwed there. But, I mean, the fact that it's only on U.S. soil once every four years, like, mm-hmm. you can't tell <laughs> you can't tell me that's the best way to go about it. It would be super fun. I would be. I'm on board. I I would love it. Like because it's my favorite event in sports too, and so I would love just the anticipation of it, uh, the excitement, and you'd get more sort of opportunity for more. You know, it wouldn't be this like huge deal of like, oh, we got to pick a captain and we got to plan two years out. It'd just be like, you know what? We'll just have more guys get the opportunity to kind of feel the sort of experience and the pressure and. You know, if one guy missed it one year, it wouldn't be such a, like, a huge, tragic deal where we're sort of, like, all, there's all these upset feelings over a guy, you know, not making it. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm totally on board. Yeah, I mean, think about it, like, especially from a casual U.S. fan perspective, like, those matches were on at 1 a.m., mm-hmm. like, on the East Coast. Like, yeah. so basically, you, the casual fan gets to watch the Ryder Cup once every four years. Like, yeah. No, Graham McDowell made the comment he wishes he was every three years. What? I don't, I, I, I don't understand that at all. I really don't. I, I don't either. I don't either. I mean, I I like T Mac, but that seems to be kind of crazy to me. I mean, you know, these, I think these guys feel like it. It takes such an emotional toil on them uh, because it's, you know, it's so different than what they're playing normally, and you you have to kind of, you know, make alliances and friendships with people who you're otherwise trying to kind of step on their necks uh, every other week. So maybe that maybe we're discounting some of the emotional toil on that or whatever. But good lord, like. J.B. Holmes, like, remember how much ass J.B. Holmes kicked to Madonna? Like, he could be our Ryder Cup team too. Like, you, you're totally right. We'd smoke them this time around. Yeah, I mean, he'd be on the he'd be on my team right now if we're right. lining up twelve guys. I think I, I, I have a hard time fitting twelve guys in the U.S. team right now, to be mm-hmm. honest. When you got guys who get murdered off the tee, always bring them. Like, always. You know, yeah. Give, give me guys. Give me length off the tee, and basically, like in those you know four ball matches, like that's huge. They set those courses up pretty damn easy too. Yes. I mean, they're not. They're not. And there's really nothing special about Glen Eagles. I mean, you play, you played it, haven't you? I have not. No. I wish okay. I, had, but yeah. um, I mean, Adam Sarson went over and played it uh, this summer, and mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's just it's a Jack Nicklaus design, right? Yeah. I mean, like it's not a it's not like a real Scottish golf course that uh, that you know favors a certain style of play. Yeah. Or, I mean, it's just a theater for it, and that's what no one really talks about the golf courses when you know. You, you play a Ryder Cup. I think it's actually one of the more yeah. forget, forgettable venues. Of, totally. Uh, I went to the one in Medina. I thought that was actually a great venue. But, yeah. Um, I mean, Hazeltine, I mean, mm. I, I, how do they decide these courses? I want to know. I think it should be. I, I would love it if it was always Lynx courses in when it was in Europe and, like, you know, historic parkland courses here in the U.S. Like, I, I don't want to – like, it's going to France or whatever in two years. Like, what – you know, I, I don't know It's where they play the Paris Open. Like, I, I don't want to see, like, a, just another lame European course that looks kind of like a U.S. course. Like, I want guys basically having to hit, like, knock down seven irons from 140 into holes and be creative and, and you know, fun like that. I'm on board. I'm okay. on board. So who else – okay, so I, I think we, we glossed over Rory's chances at Augusta. But what – what are you feeling? I mean, he's still the favorite, the odds-on favorite. I am not I, – I don't think he's going to win. I, maybe they can yeah. be famous last words. I, but, I mean, you look at his history. You would think he should play really well at Augusta, but he just yep. – he cannot avoid that big number. And yep. I, I just don't think his game is sharp enough right now. Um, if I we can, I'll play this exact part back if he does if he does win it and I will own it. But I, what do you think of his chances? I kind of agree. I think that the, the sort of – all the spotlight is going to be on him. The pressure is going to be so. It's, I mean, it is weird that like he's won two majors in a row and no one's really talking about that fact. It's like, oh, you know, it's the career grand slam aspect of it as opposed to are you going to win a third major in a row? But I, 
I just think you're right. He's going to shoot 74 on you know Tuesday, and it's going to be sort of too much to kind of overcome. Like his his wedge game is just sort of average right now, and he's you know he's always going to be you know he's he's unbelievable like long iron player. Um, he's, he obviously can is just kills it with the driver, but you know he just doesn't his short game isn't great enough to kind of help him you know save him when he hits it offline on some days and. You know, his, his kind of, if you sort of read some of his attitude, it's like, well, you know, you kind of just kind of play to your strengths. Like, it, he's not over there, like, grinding away in the bunkers, like, trying to, you know, improve his, you know, sand save chances. Like, and I think some of that is maybe indicative of, like, that when he's on, like, he can really just own a course. But he isn't really, his weaknesses, he kind of just lets them be his weaknesses because he doesn't really want to take away from some of his strengths. So, I don't know. I mean, it, maybe his, maybe this three-week, two-and-a-half-week break will kind of, mentally get him a little bit of you know rest but i don't know yeah i mean i think uh, you made a good point there about his about playing to his strengths and if 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 basically if his driver's not dominating mm-hmm. he doesn't win i mean yeah. that's kind of a ridiculous thing to say because it's i'd make the point time and time again how hard it is to win mm-hmm. and tiger's really the only guy that ever has really won events with his b game yeah but i mean it, it, it's revisionist history to do this because i mean rory won the british open he won the pga but like it wasn't it wasn't like a done deal like it wasn't like a he had it in hand the whole time like oh, yeah. sun, sunday at the pga he hit a low thin three wood from 280 yeah. yards that ended up 10 feet away that he miss hit he made eagle and that turned the tide like if that doesn't happen i'm not sure he wins that event yeah i don't think he wins at valhalla and he, i mean sergio and fowler were right there on the back nine at hoy lake too rory never made a mistake i mean he played perfect golf sergio made several mistakes and so did fowler but actually i don't remember fowler making mistakes in particular but mm-hmm. um i mean it, it was close and so it's not yep. like that that this is, he's been this dominant dominant guy. Granted, to win back to back majors is extremely difficult to do, but mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's got to go really really well for him to win the Masters. I don't think people yeah. should expect him to win the Masters. I don't think so either. And you know, just going back to the PGA, it's it's amazing to me that we almost like forget like how close he was to hitting that ball in the water off of eighteen after Fowler oh, and Mickelson were like, yeah, go ahead, you can hit your tee shot or whatever, and. The fact that he hit it in that bunker, and like I, I remember looking it up a few weeks ago, just because I was thinking about this, he's like 150th in sand saves or whatever. So like the the idea that he was going to get up and down to avoid a playoff there is sort of like it's it was no given at all. We kind of acted like, oh yeah, Roy was going to win anyway, so why not just play through the darkness or whatever? Like, God, he he totally should have. You know, if we're talking about like legacy, he should be like, no, I think I'll tee this up tomorrow. Like we can all yeah. come back, and it's not a. No worries here. I'm not going to just push this drive into the waterfall. I understand hitting the tee shot and maybe even the second shot before the darkness, but you talk about hit, like hitting a bunker shot. He got, he got to get it down in three shots, right? Mm-hmm. You can't tell me on a full night's sleep coming out, freshly mowed greens, they're going to re-rake that bunker for his lie, that he couldn't, that he didn't have a better chance to come out and 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 get it in three shots then in the morning at 8 a.m. Like, yeah. The depth perception to hit a bunker shot too. I think he kind of chunked it. I mean, he played it really safe to make sure he didn't blade it. But like, he honestly just like wanted to get out of town. We're talking, we're, t- we're talking about a major championship, and he he rushed through winning a major championship. I mean, PGA of America had a lot of blood on their hands for how that played oh, out. But- it's like one of the great majors of the last you know at least five ten years, or whatever, and. Like, it almost was a total calamity. Like, he like, saved them from a total second-guessing disaster. Like, if, if that happened at a club championship, like, the members would revolt. Like, if they, if it was that poorly organized. This happened in the final major championship of the year. How much would you have enjoyed to get, like, a wasted Phil Mickelson's thoughts on that? Because you could tell in the post-game, or the post-game, the, the interview afterwards that he was trying so hard not to be like angry about it and not to he was just like yeah well you know whatever um yeah it's fine it didn't make a difference but you could tell he was seething about yeah. the decision he knew though it it didn't have an impact on the outcome the only person it really affected and I felt bad for it was Fowler this i mean yeah. he had he kind of rushed maybe a, what a 6 5 5 or 6 foot putt um and it cost him $250,000 yes. that guy's not hurting for money I, it, his life did not was not affected by that. I shouldn't feel bad about it, but it, it he got screwed out of a second place finish be, when he 
kind of rushed that putt yep. and he missed it in the dark. That's, that's the really all, the only impact it had, and the PGA of America is very lucky it worked out that way. Ricky Fowler's almost too nice sometimes, I think. Like, he's such a, like, sort of, like, warm-hearted sort of person, it seems like. He's, like, you know, so nice to kids or whatever that I sort of wonder, like, does he have that sort of, like, kick you in the nuts kind of thing to, to sort of finish you off? Yeah, when he came, when he came out, and I I didn't really I'm not the especially back at the time I'm not really I don't follow the college game that closely, yeah. and when he came out and he was winning the Memorial Tournament in 2010, like this is my home tournament, like this yeah. is this is the tournament that I know, and he's out there in that all orange outsuit uh, outfit. I was like, who is this asshole? Like seriously, who does this guy <laughs> think he is? Like, you know how stupid he looks right now. If he's Jack Nicklaus is gonna is gonna want to punch him if he's gonna mm-hmm. hand him the trophy in this all orange outfit. And he just looked so flashy and like just kind of like a tool with his haircut, and I just I just pictured him as being this really cocky guy, and he's yeah. not like that. No, I mean, I've grown to I've grown to you know, appreciate and defend him more often than I care to admit. But he, um, he he does his personality doesn't really match his dress and the way his celebrity is really carried. So I I find myself rooting for him, but I agree that it's kind of. I, a general statement, you know, to, to say that like he doesn't have that extra gear, but we're all waiting for him to really find yeah. that. He he's actually been kind of quietly shaky this this so yeah. far this year as well. I think with golf, you know, you it's sort of it's easy to kind of have the hot take of like doesn't have the guts to win, whatever. But really, like I always thought, the Tiger sort of put it sort of right is that like you just put yourself in situations enough times where you're if you are good enough, you're probably going to win more often than you're not, and so. Like, I think some of it's kind of like, you know, the bad luck of like, well, can't really control how other guys are playing, so sometimes they're just going to shoot really great scores, and your good score isn't going to be enough. But, like, if you do that enough, eventually, you're, that's why Nicholas's record is so amazing, the, the finishing second 18 times. It's like, he was in it so much that, of course, he was going to win 18 majors and have, you know, 20 second places finished, because he was, every time he teed it up, he was like, well, I'm, I'm finishing top five. Where do you stand? I'm curious on as far as greatness goes, the best pl- like Jack versus Tiger. How do you? I know it's a it's a uh, this is a PTI or a first take level of discussion, but where, where do you where do you stand? I have my own opinion on you know Jack's records, Jack's numbers, Tiger's accomplishments, but I'm, I'm curious as to how do you compare the two? I've come to look at it this way: is that Ultimately, like Tiger was, I think the better player, but Jack had the greater career, and I think that's a fair way of sort of assessing it. Like I, I think at their peaks, you know, obviously they were both great, but the depth of field that Tiger was sort of facing, and the the way he was completely like just destroyed people, you know, in 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 the British that year, in the Masters, and you know at Pebble and the U.S. Open, like. We've never really seen anything like that. We've never seen a person who could hit the kind of shots that he hit. Now, I don't think Tiger was like facing the kind of you know top one percent of quality talent that Jack was in terms of you know the end of Arnie's career, the the middle of um, you know the the beginning of Watson's career, the sort of the middle of Gary Player's career. Like he he took on a lot of titans that Tiger either prevented from being great or you know they just weren't weren't that great and he then looked that much better as a result but Jack said something interesting once that I thought and this was years ago when it looked for sure like Tiger was going to break the record I think he said this to Rick Riley which is like you know you all guys just want to kind of give it to him like maybe he is the greatest all time but you still actually have to go out and do it like you actually have to win those tournaments and I always kind of thought that that was a very fair way to look at it because you just like the, the we're in such an age of like hype now where and, you know, Lord knows ESPN plays a role in this, but you, where someone does something amazing and it's like, is the, you know, two, you know, half an hour later, is this the greatest performance of all time? Is this guy an all time great? Yeah. And we have to immediately like categorize things like in the now, like I always kind of joke about like how people used to debate LeBron's legacy from one end of the court to the other. Like, <laughs> you know, if, He's he's a great. Oh, he's a choker. No, oh, he's an all-time great. Like it's back and forth. Like that's the sort of nature of Twitter. Like people are firing off these takes, and I think that like the actual assessment can't be done until it's all sort of over. Like if Tiger were to sort of find it and somehow win, you know, three more majors, yeah, like I, I can, you can make a 
total argument that he was. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm. <laughs> you can make a total argument that he is the greatest of all time. Um, you know, even though he doesn't get get all the the majors that Jack did, but I think I, until you actually do it, like it's hard to sort of say, like, yeah, yeah, you had the better career. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a that's a good answer. I mean, <clears throat> I don't disagree with anything you said. I think um, I at their peak, no one has ever played the game better than Tiger did when he was at his best. Um, granted, I was not alive for the Jack Nicklaus era, so I didn't see this up close and personal. But I, no one ever dominated the way Tiger did, and no one ever will. Um, I just I don't know how to weigh Nick, the competition Nicholas played against. Yep. I mean, obviously, Palmer, Player, Watson, and I, I, I could be getting my timelines wrong, but I mean, was Ben Hogan a factor right when he came into the scene? I mean, there was there was a, a lot going on with the top top tier guys in that era mm-hmm. that didn't really have the like Furic. Kucher level player it doesn't if they did I didn't really know them yep. and they didn't have the depth of those of those kind of players and it's I, I, definitely not easy but like Nicholas went like 36 for 40 or something in the 70s at like finishing top 10 at majors like yep. that that's a, that's almost like physically impossible like Tiger yep. can literally not do that yep. and so I don't know whether or not Nicholas's 19 runner-ups in majors is a good or a bad thing. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. what Tiger's got like five runner-ups in majors. Like, what? Right. I don't really know what that means. I mean, if you want to put a narrative on it, it's like, oh, Tiger's a closer and whatnot. But like, it, I feel like it's harder to win majors in this era. But also at the same time, I feel like when Tiger was winning his majors, it wasn't as hard as it currently is. Sure, it's hard to judge the quality of like a TC Chen. You know what you're saying? Back yeah. in the day, <laughs> we didn't actually see much of that uh, kind of. You know, yeah. No, I totally agree. I, you know, there there was no. You know, there was one great golfer from South Africa in that era. You know, it wasn't like you'd have five guys who had the potential to win majors. And so, like, it's. I think it's easy to say, like, yeah, obviously, there's there's much greater depth now. But in the end, like, is that does it matter the whether you beat you know. 100 guys if they're just kind of some of them are just kind of okay or whether you beat five guys and they're all great i don't know yep it's an unanswerable question we can talk about it for 20 years after tiger's gone as well so all right i'm gonna let you get out of here on you gotta give me one at least one sleeper for augusta we're two weeks away i want to know you said you were looking down the odds sheet for for a long shot some sleeper not necessarily to win just somebody to look out for um that was a great one. Um, you know, I, we didn't even get to talk about this, but like, I wanted to pick Keegan Bradley until I actually looked at his record at Augusta. It was horrible, and I was like, yep. oh, "No, that's, that's not going to happen." How about? Uh, I put you on the spot here. Yeah, you did. Um, I'll give you my two. Okay, you give me two. I kind of mowed over. Um, I, I've tweeted about this one. I was on Lee Westwood at 65 to one because of his history there. He's top 11 at each of the last five masters. I think top seven and four of the last five. And he has had quietly been top 25 in every event he's played this year. I just think 65 to one is kind of long. And I made a play a few months back on Chris Kirk at like 80 to one. Okay. I haven't really heard much from him at all this year. Yeah. I don't even know how much he's been playing. But um, basically, a, a guy that I, I forget who I was talking to, but he had him valued at around 40 to 1 in his own personal calculations, just based on the fact that he could draw the ball, hits it high, right to left, and he's got a pretty yeah. solid history there. So. I like his swing. You know, it's certainly pretty looking. So that's just um, kind of my, uh, my, 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 he, my, he's a little deeper sleeper, I think, than, uh, than Westwood. But those are two guys I at least have my eye on. Uh, here's a random one that he's been playing actually kind of well. Is Charles Howell third this year? No. Like I, I, you know, he's like two fifty one. So I don't think I don't look to him. He's not going to like, but I, I could see him with like a sneaky top fifteen or something like that. Is he in the field yet? Uh, that's a good question. I, that may not. Uh, he may not be qualified. To get this is like the time of year every year where we, where, you know, we focus in on will Charles Howell return home to Augusta this year. 
And I haven't heard a lot of that, so maybe he is in the field, but I, I, I don't think he is. He's not top 50 in the world right now. But. I feel like I kind of cheer for these like guys who, like he, like a Sean O'Hare and Howell, who were like, supposed to be sort of great and then kind of never ended up. You know, be, like I, like the sort of sad dream foursome of that is like Ty Tryon and like Charles Howell and Sean O'Hare and maybe Sam Saunders. And, like, Charles, Charles Howell and Sean O'Hare are deeply offended that you put Ty Tryon in that category. <laughs> hey, what was he like? Fourteen, whatever when he qualified for the. I think he was he was around the same time that JB Holmes first made the varsity team, somewhere around third grade, <laughs> that uh, Ty Tryon declared that he went pro, and I think he made. Like two, like twenty five thousand dollars or something ridiculous in his career, and he oh. has a, uh, It's that's the that's a that's a horror story right there. Yeah, but, so that's, that's what we're going to end on. That's a story on. that someone, some ESPN the magazine guy, should maybe go right. Yeah, there you go. That's what we're. Once we've reached Ty Tryon, we've exhausted okay. all possible topics. And we didn't even talk about Bubba this the whole time. So. That, that was de- by design. All okay, right, sorry. I'm cursed in it. <laughs> That's what I told Porter. I said, you know, we're, we're going to pick all these guys, talk about it, and then we're just going to – I'm going to do it again this year. I'm going to forget that this is tailor-made for Bubba. This is. I mean, it's – it's. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't even have anything to say about it. He's, he's going to be there. Yep. Yeah, he probably is. So, all right, Kevin, all right. thank you so much for coming on, man. We'll let you go. This is, we're running on an hour. But uh, for everyone left listening, this was Kevin Van Valkenburg from ESPN. Um, we will – Let's do it again, uh, maybe pre-U.S. Open. I know you're, you're going to be looking into Phil, I think, for yep. a story uh, going into the U.S. Open. So I think we should uh, try to catch up around then. Sounds good. Talk to you soon. Thanks again, right, Kevin. Man. You bet. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yes! Yeah! Johnny, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most!